everybody, you're listening to the GNU World Order. My name's Klaatu, and in this episode, I've got a special guest on the show to talk about maybe some non-computer things, but then again, maybe it is about computers after all. We'll find out. This is an interview I did with Herag. Herag is a internet person that I met on the internet. I, I'm pretty sure I met him on Mastodon. And we got talking through our Slackware connection. He's a Slackware user. I'm a Slackware user. And then one day, he he somehow, it, it came to my attention that he has a podcast as well. He's a podcaster. And he uh, his podcast is called the Anarcho Book Club. And I thought, well, this is a really cool idea. Let's go find out what that is. And I started listening to his show, and... I, I gotta say, it's uh, just a fascinating listen. It is he, it, it is him. It's a sol- solo show. He um, reads anarchist books off the show and then discusses them on the show. So it's not like he's reading the book in real time as you're listening to him. But he 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 comes on sort of with a book report, I guess, every episode, and you learn a lot, whether you've read the stuff or not you you learn something and whether it's something new or just you're learning a different perspective on something that you already sort of knew is you know depends on you and 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 what you know and what you've read but the 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 episode for me that that sort of set the pace which was convenient because it was his first episode was about Emma Goldman and Emma Goldman is the uh, for to my mind uh, will always kind of be the premier anarchist thinker because, I mean, whether she is or she isn't, I mean, she's a big influence, obviously, on, on I think, I, I don't want to say most anarchists, but many are anarchists would, would, would know and and respect, at least, Emma Goldman. There are others out there, obviously, lots of big ones. Noam Chomsky is comes to my mind immediately because I, I'm a big fan of his as well. Point being, though, I got introduced to this concept of living without authority uh, by Emma Goldman, and I thought that was a really fascinating and kind of ostentatious idea, and it, it brought to a mind a lot of questions and got my mind really, really thinking in new directions, and, uh, well, it's just set my 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 brain off onto a lot of questions throughout my entire life. I mean, the 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 influence of Emma Goldman on my life can't be understated. Just the the constant sort of analysis of assumptions and that sort of thing is I, I attribute it to Emma Goldman for me because there was no one else out there telling me that that was a good idea and that that was okay. And that it was indeed essential. So, I, I have read a lot of Emma Goldman, and I here I was listening to an episode about an Emma Goldman, I think, collection of essays, or had he just written, had he just read one essay? I forget off the top of my head, but he was talking about this, and in every other sentence he would say something, and I would think, oh, well, she answers that question in in this book over here, in, you know, and so it was kind of like. I had a lot to say back to that podcast, and I think we probably all know what that's like. I mean, I've received emails from you, probably, dear listener, about 
some thought you had in response to something I've said on this very podcast. So we all definitely know what that's like. If if you're a podcast po- podcast listener, you know that sensation. And the result is, well, a very stimulating listen. You're not just listening, you know, if you're just listening to an audiobook, that can be super stimulating as well, because you're just taking everything in. But his, uh, Herog's Anarchist Book Club podcast, there's stuff to take in, and then there's stuff to think about, and to question, and to, and to, to think, well, I don't just, I don't, I don't agree with you on that one, Herog, or I do agree with you on that, and, and so on. So really, really interesting listen, especially if you're at all interested in anarchism, but frankly, uh, honestly, it's got more for for a lot of other people too. I mean, there's there's just kind of the literary aspect of a bu- a book club. Now he has online stuff where you can participate and actually make it into a book club where you actually respond and con- con- converse with him. I didn't know about that until I interviewed him, so I haven't really taken any action on that myself yet. But it's it's really really a fascinating. I mean, aside from just commenting on episodes in Mastodon, which I guess counts. It's a fun participatory experience. I encourage you, if you're at all interested in thinking about the way that the world works, the the way that that communities are structured, why we form those communities, and so on, give Anarcho Book Club podcast a try. It's a great little show. And here is its host. We'll start from the beginning, though. So, um, Harag, you have a podcast. It is called the Anarcho Book Club. Tell me what... Well, actually, give me the the elevator pitch. What is Anarcho Book Club? I mean, it's kind of all in the name, but tell me anyway. Yeah, sure. It's uh, So, Anarcho Book Club is... Well, okay, so I started it... I listen to, to a lot of podcasts. Same. Oh, and a lot of different podcasts. And I was looking for anarchists podcast and a lot of them they either started and made it about three whole episodes and then shut Mm -hmm. down or they're like hardcore um ancap style podcasts like Mm -hmm. you know anarcho-capitalist podcasts Mm -hmm. and i just wanted something different but the thing about anarcho book club that kind of developed after the basically after the first episode after i actually started reading all of these uh the older anarchists and modern ones was that I I don't think, and I've said this on the last episode, I think, that I put out so far, I realized that I don't think there's such thing as an anarchist in real life. I think it's just a person. It's a human being with the basic desire to not be chained down by some sort of oppressive power, which I think is, from my interactions with people, it is something that we all... Yeah, you you said this, you said this, I think before your previous episode because i haven't actually heard your your most recent episode but i i think it was pretty early on because i remember i'm you said like you're if you're a person like you're an anarchist like that's the default setting for a person and i was like oh my gosh yeah that's so true yeah and that's what it's it's one of those things that i just kind of realized and now now we're into walt whitman and this really gets into it it really gets into because he's just a person Although he's kind of a weird, kind of right. a weird dude, but he's 
he's just like a human that's trying to live in nature. He said, well, okay, paraphrase. I go to the woods to live deliberately. And I mentioned this in the latest podcast, but it made me realize that's what I got out of college. And I, I was not an anarchist. I don't know what I was. I was just a confused human being. I did. I did exactly as Walt Whitman said. I went to the woods and to the mountaintops to live deliberately, to sound my barbaric yop from the rooftops <laughs> of the world. Yep. And, and greatest line ever in, what was it, uh, Dead Poet Society? Where, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and that'll stick with me to the end of my days. I did that and never called myself an anarchist. I never did anything revolutionary, except that and this is a just a theory, but doing things like that are revolutionary because you're changing yourself by going to the woods, by living deliberately. And in effect, mm. you change your community. That's what I, I kind of want to embody that in the book club, in Anarcho Book Club, to read through people who describe themselves as anarchists, see if I can pull out some truths from each one that kind of all form a cohesive philosophy. That's kind of the whole point of Anarcho Book Club. It's kind of funny, though, because the term anarchist or anarchy obviously does mean different things to different groups. And it, it, used, to, it used to confuse me that one of the most prominent and cer certainly probably one of my favorite anarchist sort of speakers and thinkers is Noam Chomsky, yeah, who is yeah. a linguist. Like, I was like, why? what's the relation between linguist and anarchism? And it's like, actually everything, because exactly. language defines how we see the world. Before I got out of college, I actually studied linguistics and literature. And Oh, that's cool. Well, my main focus right at the end, my last semester was Norse mythology, but throughout the whole thing, it was mythology, languages. I studied probably five or six different languages in depth. And in all of it, Noam Chomsky was always there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he always common, had something. The one That's, common thread through your university. Yeah. Exactly. It was always, there was always, in every semester, there was a reference to Noam Chomsky. I don't know how that didn't turn me towards the anarchists before uh, I graduated, but for some reason, I never latched on to it. But I love Noam Chomsky. He's one of my favorites. So you, um, let me, you might have already answered this, but I'm... One thing that came up, I think someone on the internet somewhere had discovered GNU World Order and posted it. I think it was on Hacker News. That's what I want to say. And someone in the comments was like, this is really stupid. Like, what does anarchy and sort of human rights and stuff have to do with computers? Like, when does that ever oh, come up man. in the computer world? And, and it's interesting because you and I, I think, met actually primarily through the computer angle. I don't I don't really exactly remember when we sort of when I discovered. I think when I discovered you were anarchist, it was when you were talking about you. You had just come out with an anarcho book club oh, yeah. show, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." Otherwise, I just knew you as a Slackware user. Yeah. Yep. So, what does anarchy and computers? How? Why would we talk about those in the same sentence? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So this is that's a part that I haven't figured out how to introduce that into the podcast as much. Free software, the whole FOSS or whatever you want to call it, uh, the whole free and open source software world, it is born out of a desire to be free from from chains. For instance, I, I started using Slackware. I think I don't know if you remember this, but I long, a while back I sent you an email with the um, kind of my Slackware story. Before I was introduced to Slackware, I think it was 2006 or seven. I used Windows. I think well, my first version of um, any proprietary software was um, what was it? It was what was on the Commodore 64, and I can't remember what. 
That wasn't. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't. I don't know my PC history well enough. I I I grew up a Mac user, and to me, that was the old the the only the only computer that existed was Mac. That's see, Commodore sixty four was awesome. That was also because <laughs> by default it wasn't locked down with. I mean, it had licenses, I think, but it wasn't locked down with DRM and all the other. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was something you could open it up and. You could do whatever you wanted to it. It wasn't a big deal. But that's when everything started, right around the time. Now, see, I was I was about three or four years old whenever I was using my mom and dad's Commodore 64, which they had bought for their music store that they owned at the time. And Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's they used it for... I have no idea what they used it for, to be honest with you. All I knew, there were games on it, and that's what I did. Figured out how to play those. But anyway, so I went from Commodore 64 to... Yeah. Win- we jumped all the way up to Windows 98. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a big jump. I think at one point we had Windows 3.1 for about two months. But anyway, up to Windows 98. And you could customize things on Windows 98. It was pretty cool. You could get even kind of low level, a little, not low level, but beneath the very surface level and actually customize. I can't remember if it was CSS properties or what, how they how they pick colors and things. You could do all that. And then comes Windows Millennium Edition. Oh, yeah. Which was the first computer. Sort of infamous yeah, edition, that, was, that one. I remember people oh, yeah. really did not like that one. It was the first computer I ever personally own i think i got the computer for 50 bucks it was a cheap computer i put windows millennium on it was ready to rock and roll and it couldn't do anything and it crashed every chance it got it was horrible you couldn't change anything unless it had a predefined yeah and that was my first taste of being locked out of my own computer something i own yeah in a better even a better example of how this compares to anarchy and anarchism and just human freedom is last night. <laughs> yes, last night. It just happened last night. I tried to get on. I have an Xbox One. I could not use it because unless you can log in, you cannot use anything on it hardly. And the login system on Windows oh, servers wow. was down last night. I couldn't use my own device. <laughs> and that made me so angry. Well, if if my partner didn't play um, Assassin's Creed on it, so if she didn't play that game on it, I would have gotten rid of it, bought another Rock Pro 64 from the Pine 64 team, stuck that onto the back of my TV and made it a media client. Just those things. The little, I mean... Yeah, they are little things because it's not, it is, it affects your life in such a way that it inhibits you from doing something you otherwise would have done that you could be free to do if someone didn't decide that you need to pay them or rely completely on them, be completely subservient to their will. I don't see how someone couldn't realize that this is directly in effect. And then, sorry, sorry to keep on going, but. It it just made me it jumped to another idea in my head here. And <laughs> Go then, for it. So if you think about it this way, then so two thousand six or eight, I can't remember when it was. The whenever the Snowden revelations came out, and um, so then you see, so now you're locked oh, into yeah. Windows or Android or iOS or whatever it, you know whatever it is, you're locked in. You have paid for all of these services that you merely have paid for the license to use them. You don't actually own them. And and now we find, or not now, but we have found that all of these services, are, not all of them, but many of them are built 
so that you can be spied on not just for profit, although it's arguably it is just for profit, I guess, but not just for profit, but so that governments can spy as well and use that to fund whatever it is. And in my experience, as part of the anti-war movement for like the last 10 years, as my experience, these things are used specifically for war. And I know it's a huge jump, but if you think about everything, for instance, our first mission to the moon, not our, but uh, the U.S.'s first mission to the moon. If you think about what that was about, it wasn't about getting a man on the moon. It was about demonstrating to the Russians that right. the United States has a more yeah. powerful rocket and we can hit you faster than you can hit us. And so you better stand down. That was the whole purpose. And it's not like anyone denies that either. And that's the thing. No one denies it, but they still say, oh, look, we got a man on the moon. And it's like, okay, well, that's great. <laughs> I mean, it is great. Yeah, yeah. It is really cool. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Science behind it is amazing. Probably doesn't come out in my podcast as much because I've sat down and I've been reading before I start recording just to freshen up. But it gets me so angry to think about those things, to think about all of the things they try to lock us in on, they being... This is one of the things I've I've learned from reading. I, I normally I would say they being the government because that is my ANCAP mind working, but now I'm mm-hmm. my mind has been broadened by all of these different <laughs> right. My worldview has been expanded and I realize that it's from the beginning it is also the the corporations, the leaders of these corporations of these massive megacorps, profit and power at the expense yeah. of everyone else. If that doesn't get you worked up, then I don't know what will. And maybe if by then by that point if it if you're not worked up then maybe it's too late. The funny thing is, I guess, or the the interesting thing is, I mean, as you were talking about for instance, a game console or your $50 computer back when, you know, it was Windows ME or whatever. It is like a small thing. Like it's it's a really insignificant thing. I I guess the fear is that if there are enough small things in our lives that completely control our actions, then at the end of the day, like literally at the end of each day, we haven't really done anything of our own volition. Like we're, we're being sort of like controlled by all of these things that we thought we were sort of partaking in to, I don't know, do something else. Yeah. And that's what, that's, oh, that's exactly right. And that's, well, so I work, I work in IT. And so I get calls from customers all day about a range of different products. And we're encouraged. Now I work for a company that is really, they're really good to their employees and to their customers. I hear people all day long talking about, normally they call in and they say, my internet's not working. Okay. So we try to figure that out. We have a tool where we can get on, if they got their router from us, we can get on there and see if there's any errors in the error log or see what we can do to fix it. But you can also see what kind of devices they have on their network. And normally I check that just for like known malicious devices, just to be sure. But also you can see it and you say, why do you have 23 Amazon devices on your network? Is that intentional? And oh, yeah, yeah, we have dots everywhere. I'm I'm like, are you kidding me? Interesting. I I mean, okay, okay, so... Maybe maybe they buy into the whole idea that if you've not done anything wrong, you don't have anything to be worried about. But the thing is, you have everything to be worried about at that point. You don't know what's in there, and you don't know – you have no control over those devices. I just watched The Social Dilemma, I think is what it's called, which it's pretty good. It's kind of um, – it seems very produced. I'll put it that way. 
in the social dilemma they kind of demonstrate through cinematography the way that google and amazon manipulate the consumer by basically controlling the content that they see at all times though i think a lot of it was overplayed in the documentary i think that was true i really do think that was true and that is another example of where you don't have although you have the illusion of freedom at that point you think you're free but they figured out ways to help push you it was like we're a bunch of lab rats at that point and i know i i'm really trying not to jump into the conspiracy theory side of that <laughs> right i know it's really but hard to toe that line it is all verifiable which I know that's what conspiracy theorists say. <laughs> well, see, now I'm digging my hole even deeper. So that's maybe I should. I think this. Stop I think, yeah, really. I think you're getting to the bottom of the or the the point though, because mm-hmm. it's like, like a lot of the I think the outrage among free and open source software enthusiasts right. like ourselves, it isn't it isn't so much about like sort of like well. I just want to see the code because I want to see the code or I want the illusion of greater freedom because, you know, Richard Stallman says, if I do this, then I'm more free. It's it's that we see we have some knowledge to whatever degree we have the knowledge about the technology and we are in a unique position. We're in a oh, yeah. in, in some ways we're in a position of power because we understand how this stuff works to some degree. Again, like you know, we're all different, but there are people out there, your support calls with 23 dots around their house, they don't understand why that could potentially be a problem. You know, these companies and they're really taking advantage of a lot of sort of just ignorance. And we can't make people learn more about computers, but we can at least be voices of dissension and hope that people maybe start to at least question like, well, why do I need to log in just to play the the game that I, that I paid for or, you know, whatever the problem is. And then question, do I actually even own that, that game at this point? I have actually been reading a book that you wrote. I got it off of Smashwords. Yep. That would be me. Computing without compromise. Yes. What a, what a, what a great volume. I've really been enjoying it because it's like, it's not like I'm, no, no, that's not, I am learning uh things from it it's just an enjoyable read and it's it's got me think there's things that you said in there. it's a lot of confirmation bias yeah. is what you're yes, trying exactly. to say <laughs> well i like where you go with it because unlike so i read um linus torvald's book that he co-wrote um what's it called just for fun oh cool i've not read that one actually it's really good it's like a conversation between him and someone else but then they launch into full stories and it's really good okay. but it is just straight up nonstop Linux. As you would expect. From yeah, well, yeah, as, as you would expect. Whenever I started reading, now I haven't finished um, Computing Without Compromise, but as I started reading it, you even, you dipped into Anarchy, I think. No, that sounds right, you yeah. Didn't, you alluded to it very strongly. There was a point in there that you mentioned, right in the beginning, I think, um, the whole purpose of free software. It had to do with licenses and how a lot of software is licensed to where you don't own it. And not only that, the devices themselves, you do not own them. Because if you can't repair them yourself, then you don't own it. Yeah. And I think that's what like the whole uh, California and European right to repair laws going on right now. And I think there's another state now in the United States that's doing it. Maine or Massachusetts, one of those. My first... My knee-jerk reaction to laws of any kind is, uh... Yeah, totally. (laughs) But the way I've seen it play out, 
in Europe, I'm thinking if any of the laws in the United States, which they probably aren't, but if any of them are anything close to that, I think that would be a step in the right direction. I, I think I think you're alluding to an important thing, which is there's a balance to be struck in anarchism as well as technology and everything. Mm-hmm. And and part of the balance is working within the system that we have. Like right now, we, we can't exactly pull the plug right mm-hmm. now and expect things yep. to for something productive to happen that would be a mistake so working within the system that we're we're sort of that right. we've that we've right. all created for ourselves or that we've inherited maybe is a better way to say mm-hmm. it but also to know that our opinions are very much based on our experiences yes. and i i have to i would be the first to admit personally that i've i've come around to a lot of different conclusions after leaving the US and moving to New Zealand that i never i was never looking for a change of perspective but there's just such a culture shock you know, mm-hmm. that sort of settles in after a couple of years and you're just like, people, not the people are different, the people are the same everywhere, but like the way that the culture has developed was different and look at how that affects sort of day-to-day life. It's it's very interesting. Oh, yeah. That's a really, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. That's because whenever I, I visited Finland, for instance, I, I was there teaching English, which, by the way, they don't need anyone to teach them English. <laughs> I was lied to whenever I signed <laughs> up hilarious. for that. That's I don't know why they sent me to teach English, but they did. So it was my school. But anyway, I went there to teach English, and the whole culture seems different. Yeah, You get to know the people themselves, Mm -hmm. and it's not like they're any different than anybody else that you meet, that we all kind of have that same base desires and instincts and so on. And we're all the same. Same like whenever I went to... um, I was in India for about a month and a half cool. um, working with um, uh, orphanages. Uh, we were going to build an orphanage. Wow. And, of course, most of what we did was just trying to get through the government regulations. But <laughs> wow. that's another topic. <laughs> and this is back in 2005, right after the big tsunami. We landed, stayed in a hotel at first, but then eventually I stayed with a family there. And I got to know whenever you – now, I don't know how it is elsewhere – but in the area of the United States that I live in, there is a very, very, very strong anti-anyone-other-than-the-U.S. type of people bias. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's so strong that it's embarrassing. Yeah. And so I went into that growing up in that culture. And whenever I got to know Nehemia, is what they mm. called him, was one of their names. And whenever I got to know them, I realized... That was the moment, and I was in, I think I was 17, okay. and I got to know them, and I realized everything that I've grown up thinking about anyone outside of my state or city mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it is, everything that I was taught is completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's hogwash, because these people are the same people as me. They talk differently, but that's because they don't know English as well as me. <laughs> right. Or no, no, not even that. They don't know my dialect of English yes, yeah. as well as I do, which Chomsky can tell you all about that. That's dialects <laughs> of English. In Finland, it's the same thing. You go there and you think, oh, these are people, they live in the cold and they're all quiet and they're all... Because these are the things that you're that I was told, at least, before we went. And they're very severe and stern. Uh-huh. And so I went there with this image of this stern, cold, tall, blonde person yeah, And I get there, and it's true that most people in Finland seem to have very light-colored hair, but they're not all cold. They're not all stern. <laughs> and actually, I haven't yet met a Finn that is like that. I It's just one of those things. And I'm not exactly 100% sure how I got off onto that, but well, it, this it's... is why it yeah. takes me... <laughs> 
yeah. hours to get through <laughs> your anarcho bookstore. A long time to record a 45-minute <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing that that's sort of making me think of is this question, something that you said earlier or alluded to earlier, you know. Who who do we get angry at? Do we get angry at the government? Do we get angry at the corporations? Do we get angry at each other? Like oh, yeah. who, who's like who is quote unquote they? And I feel like in in a way they is kind of each each one of us. Like we can be each other's they in the worst of ways or in the best of ways. And you know if you if you if you turn to someone and say hey you're going to Finland let me tell you exactly what to expect and then you fill their head with how you perceived it or what you think, you know, then, then it's like, I don't know, you're, you're being a little bit dishonest or disingenuine because they have to form their own opinions. And I, I understand, you know, you, you do want to tell people information that you have, like that's a natural human desire to share knowledge. That's a good desire to have. But to come across as like the authority on this subject as if the, there's no other truth than what you're telling right. them isn't very helpful. Something else you said earlier was... What's the concept of, quote unquote, doing something revolutionary, like that revolutionary, that term, like so many other terms, is really a really loaded term. And obviously it's been, you know, you might have a picture of someone like, I don't know, in South America with a beret, or you might have a picture of an Apple ad from like, you know, the mid to the early 2000s, where everything was like, it's a revolution and a revolutionary thinkers and all this other nonsense. You know, you, who knows what you, inv- you might have a, a vision of someone dressed in black throwing Molotov cocktails in uh, Seattle. You know, who knows what kind of like revolutionary idea you have. But I think what you're saying f- about like Walt Whitman and, and a lot of these people that you've been reading who are just ultimately people, the revolutionary act starts and maybe even finishes in some cases just with your own attitude. A while back I did an episode, which it wasn't my favorite episode to do, but it was on uh, Samuel Edward Konkin III, yes, that, the founder of yeah, Agorism. Yeah, that was interesting. He was, he was an outcast of the ANCOMs and the ANCAPs because <laughs> – because he not only did he believe in mutualism or the something that I think everyone actually does believe in, no matter who you are, you just don't know it. You believe in give and take. He thought it should be kind of a founding principle, mutualism. But then on top of that, he said, but you can also trade with your neighbor. Get that. Mm-hmm. You can trade goods <laughs> with your neighbor. Isn't that cool? That was his whole thing. <laughs> Those two things. And he said, this is how you become a revolutionary you start a community, or not, not you start a community, yeah. you change yourself first. And, and that's one thing, actually, that one thing I've learned is I take away something from everyone uh-huh. I've talked to or listened to or whatever. And that's how Samuel uh, yeah. S.E.K. the third, I think is how they, they refer to him. But S.E.K. three, <laughs> that sounds weird. Um, that's how he, he, he said it all starts here. It starts with yourself, sort of. It's a revolution in of yourself, in yourself. You take responsibility, learn from your community, you share with your community, build a community. Sure. And you don't have to start a commune to have a good working relationship with your whole community so that whenever disaster does strike or whenever something happens like a great crash in the econ- the world economy, yeah. you have people around you that you know that you can count on. You may not know them like your brother or sister or mother or father, but you know them well enough that you can go next door and say, hey, listen, yeah. my kids are 
dying of hunger. Do you have anything? And they would gladly give you something. And I think that goes all the way back to how we started this. That's just called being human. Being an agorist, you're just being a human with a plan. Anarcho-communist, you're just a human with a plan that you think will work better. And the same goes for anarcho-capitalists. That's just kind of how I... I've kept my view of anarchism. Yeah, I think you found your tagline. Being a human with a plan. So it's perfect. I think that's I think that's the real selling point of your of your podcast, the Anarcho Book Club. I sometimes I have to force myself to listen to an episode that I don't think looks interesting to me. You know, like one of the, I forget which one it was. There was one in there who I was oh, it was actually the one that you, we were talking about earlier, Samuel Edward Conk in the third um because i didn't i didn't know that name i was just like i don't know who that is i was looking at the um the description and i was like yeah i don't really yeah i don't think this one's gonna speak to me but every time i listen to an episode i come away with something you know i guess that's kind of what you're saying like no matter what it is you you take something away from just kind of i guess holding that thing in your mind and turning it around and kind of looking at it and whether you agree or disagree, now you know that you agree or you disagree. That's more than you knew before. Yep. And that's what with, uh, was it Proudhon? That was property is theft. I don't even know if I disagreed with him. I just think that it was poorly formulated, maybe. I don't know. Oh, I don't really know. Not only did I not enjoy how he talked about things, like how he uh, described his theorems, I just, from the outset... And I really tried not to do this, but from the outset, I just didn't agree with his... Like the thesis? The basis for his argument. And I realized he never expanded upon his client. He never gave any real arguments. But then I got to Kropotkin, and he gave me what I needed to understand Proudhon better. Because uh, he, he went through, in The Conquest of Bread... Um, he went through the same kind of claim of property is theft, although he never, I don't think he actually said it for my own personal philosophy. I don't know if I'm going to integrate this fully because there are still some things that I don't, I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, specifically for property is theft, you kind of have to work within the system that you're, that you're given because certainly if you just make a, a decision to say, well, I don't believe in property and therefore I'm not going to, I don't know buy my own house or something well that's fine but now you're just you're just condemning yourself to a life probably of just tenant landlord relationship which isn't the greatest thing either either that or you go live in a van somewhere which which is is great but i mean it's also very it's sort of a specific thing it is and that's what that's like trying to swallow entire philosophies whole i've learned not to ever do that ever again that's ever again Part of what brought me to anarchism was a man who I now don't listen to and think has gone off the deep end quite a bit. And at one point or another, he was saying something on his podcast. And I'm just like, wait a minute. This is wrong. It's like with computing, though. Whenever I boot up my system, I really want everything to be KDE or QT centric, you know, uh, built with the QT framework. I want it all to because it's all cohesive. Yeah, yeah, they're big on that. So, and that's the reason why I tried out elementary OS for like about a year, actually, was I wanted everything to be cohesive. It's pretty. It's really pretty. But it goes back to where you don't have hardly any control over that system either. Oh, which is similar to the comparison here. So there's no way 
in my mind that I can leave this philosophy behind and just take parts of it. I want either the whole thing or none of it at all. And that was my mindset back then. Now, now that I, I can piecemeal it out and not feel crazy. It sounds like you and, and I both, and, and probably a lot of other people, I don't think this is super unique. Like we are raised to some degree that a philosophy or an idea does kind of, you can take the package or, or just get the heck out, like just go away. And, and it, it's almost, it's a weird sort of fundamentalism, I guess, or extremism, I guess, but at least for me, that's, that was my, that was my upbringing. I thought that was, that was the only way to be. And I think a friend of mine, Deep Geek, I think he said that it was, um, what was he saying? It was a very Aristotelian uh, view, I think yep. is what he was calling it. He was saying yep. it's either black or white and there's no shades of gray. And it took me a long time to get comfortable with saying, you know what? I'm okay with accepting that there are, there's a grayscale between those two extremes. I don't know what that comes from, but it's, it can be dangerous, I think. I don't either. It's, well, and I think, yeah, C.G. Jung and a whole mm. bunch of other people, even Nietzsche, how he expounded upon the mythological yeah. and how it is so tightly interwoven. It's all these different mythologists, the Grimm brothers. I have a four-volume set, Johann and Wilhelm Grimm, where they go through all of Teutonic mythology, which is North, uh, like Norse mythology, and they catalog every single word used in reference to uh teutonic mythology wow and believe it or not i have i've read through all four volumes <laughs> it's like reading a dictionary but a lot more engaging forgotten what i was saying oh you're so horrible at talking i know, <laughs> you, I know. you start to captivate me and then you're like what was my point i'm like i don't know that's what i, I was know. waiting for i know <laughs> by reading the teutonic mythologies and by reading about all kinds of mythologies all over the world, C.G. Jung, Nietzsche, and all of these other um, philologists and philosophers and uh, psychologists, they've all kind of, I want to say they agree, and I think they do, on this idea that there is an archetype built into our, not our DNA, it's built so deeply into our minds, we almost need a cohesive uh, Ah, philosophy okay in a way uh-huh one of the first things that human beings and i forget who discovered this it, i can't remember who it was that discovered it but um one of the first things we identified as a threat were snakes and you know one of the most common evil uh beasts in all of mythology right is a it's always a serpent serpent yeah creature. totally all over the world Everywhere. It's always a serpent or a dragon or a whatever. It's some sort of serpent-like creature, and which I personally don't understand why it's not a spider, because I hate spiders. But that's <laughs> beside the point. And it's because even before we were Homo sapien, no, I think it was, yeah, before we were Homo erectus, we could identify a snake in the grass. And that that, that was a way the uh, lady who discovered that, I forget her name, but that was a way... There is something, there's like a mythology built into our brains that we latch onto and we know certain things, we perceive certain things as evil because of um, experiences of our ancestors. And because of that, I think, because it, it's not just snakes, there are tons of things that are just built into our very sure. nature as human beings. Yeah. And in conjunction with that, cross all cultures. I think because of that, you can kind of expand on that and say that, yes, in fact, 
we do want a cohesive philosophy that we can hold on to and it's black and white and that's it because that gives us safety that gives us security in the in the united states if you're a republican you're gonna wrap yourself up in the american flag and back the blue and all the other stuff uh oh and you're gonna oh yeah and you're gonna support the troops and you're going to um always obey the commander-in-chief no matter how many people he kills i was in yemen and which i didn't know i wasn't allowed to be there but i i <laughs> wow that's no one crazy. told me at the border that u.s yeah they they didn't tell me that u.s citizens aren't allowed in yemen oh, i wow. had no idea wow but i was in yemen and you know what i found i went to eat dinner with a family and of course they have their cultural differences but i found out that these people are just human beings yeah <laughs> and that's it and they're just trying to get by and we're bombing the hell out of them yeah and while i was there i saw a drone fly over and i just thought i cannot believe i live in a country yeah that claims that we're the most peaceful you know democratic country and we're sending unmanned planes over here to kill a bunch of people that we don't know it just like it breaks my heart man it's like and that's why i joined the anti-war anti-war.com move <laughs> they they report on all of all of these things okay but it kind of goes back to the idea that there is a gray area and that ultimately sad and i hate it because i mean i wrote a book as you've just mentioned called computing without compromise i do not like compromise like that that idea doesn't sit well with me but it is a very extremist idea it's like no it either has to be black or white and it's like well you live in a place with a government that does things that you're not going to agree with or you live in a community even if you just want to bring it local you live in a community and maybe your neighbor doesn't doesn't dispose of their their waste properly they, they're burning it in a trash can creating carbon emissions when they should be uh recycling it or something who knows you know like there's there's all kinds of things that you don't oh, yeah. that you yeah. can't sort of like when you know if if you're just if it if the world did truly revolve around just me like that would not happen you know <laughs> like th all of this mm -hmm. stuff would not stand mm -mm. but like no. then you know like it does happen and that we're all we all have to coexist and yeah. there are compromises to be made yeah um and that goes for you know living our life in the world and it goes for computing um and there are decisions that we all have to make mm -hmm. ultimately um and I guess it just comes down to sort of like making informed decisions, making things that sit well with you personally, morally, you know, kind of yeah. figuring out where where we each stand and I guess how we ultimately affect each other, you know, whether we're whether we're doing harm to others yeah. or, or not, or whether we're helping others and so on. I've been learning the C programming language oh, okay. and lately and it's taught me about compartmentalization of processes. Okay. This is where I think reading all of these different anarchists comes into play because you can read individual parts of this, of this whole structure, this whole idea of what would happen if this. And these are all like separate processes mm. or separate yeah. functions in the program. Then you can hopefully bring them all together. And eventually in the podcast, I do hope to do some episodes I already did kind of one. It was kind of a test, but I called it discussion time. And uh, where I want to, from everything that I've read so far, I want to kind of try to see if I can pull everything together into a cohesive 
oh, like we were talking about earlier, a cohesive philosophy or thought. Just for uh, one of those things where it's almost a disposable philosophy, something that you can form and then analyze and then maybe test it to see somehow, some way, test it. And that's why I'm really hoping to get people responding on Mastodon. And uh, I've been putting things up on LBRY lately uh, because it has a comment oh, section. Okay. I'd like to get input from people because I don't know if my ideas are good or not. Like, I don't know. Like, if I do a discussion time, I lay out this big old plan. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. And I'd rather someone cut me down and tell me that's stupid than them just let me believe that, hey, maybe I did come up with a really good philosophy here. So that's kind of where I want it to go eventually. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of the the model of a book club typically is to read and then discuss probably. Where can people find uh, the Anarcho Book Club online? You can go to anarchobook.club to discuss, to comment. You can either go to... It's lbry.tv, and just search for Anarcho Book Club. I'm the only one there, or my club is the only one named that. Let's see. And then I've got one other link. It's just kind of an experiment. It's like a Reddit clone, sort of. And I don't really like Reddit, but I thought it looked cool. That is at lemmy, L-E-M-M-Y dot M-L forward slash C forward slash anarcho book club oh actually you can find me on mastodon too dobs.town forward slash at herag h-e-r-a-g perfect thank you um for coming on my show and talking about this topic i um like i say people have kind of brought up the question now of like what what GNU World Order has to do with anarchy and why I claim to be one thing and never really talk about it. So um, it was perfect to get you to do the hard work for me. Oh, not a problem. Yeah, that's I, I enjoyed it a lot. So And thank you for having me too, by the way. Thank you for listening to the GNU World Order OG cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at Klaatu at member.fsf.org. That's Klaatu at member.fsf as in freesoftwarefoundation.org and of course you can visit my various websites gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info I will see you next time
Oh, yeah, we forgot our coffee break.